True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya Tanakas, Fakakta, Jag like Michael Waka Polanco and Franco, Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Kokomo Thursday, January 21st. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Another big show lined up. It feels like I've said that all week long, but there are a lot of players to talk about within these tiers, specifically today on the show, outfield and starting pitchers. Uh, It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, A few more signings today, including the Blue Jays and their fans getting duped. So uh, unless you... Live Under a Rock, you might have seen on Thursday, on Wednesday, when we were recording this, the uh, it was announced the Blue Jays signed Michael Brantley to a three-year deal, uh, and I was freaking out because I love Rowdy Telez. I'm like, no, what's going to happen now? But then it turned out that didn't really happen, and he's going back to the Astros on a two-year contract. So what happened, Scott? What, I mean, this is... We're supposed to be professionals here. What happened? <laughs> don't play me. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't why you reported that, Scott. We I know where the report originated, but I will not. Uh, that's fine. I, I don't know. People, it's it's the rush to be first, right? Uh, and sometimes that means you're going to be wrong. And so uh, I actually did write something up for CBSSports.com reacting to the news and then had to take it down. Um. It happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. But Brantley's going back to the Astros, which means for now at least you can continue to support Rowdy Telez and his reduced strikeout rate. Yes. Uh, you know, I don't think anything really changes for Brantley. There wasn't anyone interesting who was going to step in and take his place. He's had a remarkably stable profile over the past few years. It's still a championship caliber lineup, even without George Springer there. Uh, so nothing really changes for him, and uh, we'll see if we'll see if the Blue Jays have anything else in mind. We'll we'll see if if they're how committed they are to Telez in the wrong in the long run, and uh, how trusting they are of Teoscar Hernandez. Because I, I I frankly I thought that was a part of the moves they were making too, is they were kind of signaling, like we don't really know what's going to happen with this guy either, so we need to be prepared in case he turns back into a pumpkin. 
Mm, wow, Scott. <laughs> the entire fantasy baseball industry is marching your way with their pitchforks. How dare you besmirch the name of Teoscar Hernandez. We'll talk about Brantley a little bit more in just a bit, but Scott and I did an emergency podcast two nights ago now when you'll be listening to this. Uh, Chris, you were not on that, so I wanted to give you the uh, opportunity to opine on George Springer heading to the Toronto Blue Jays. Six years, $150 million deal. Someone pointed out, it's pretty interesting, DJ LeMay, who got six years, $90 million. I think he's also two years older, but a very big very big disparity in, in the, uh, the financials between George Springer and DJ LeMay. Any thoughts that you have with uh, Blue Jays, with him joining Springer joining the Blue Jays, um, what his what it means for his value and what it might mean for anyone else's value in their lineup. Uh, it makes this a really, really uh, an even more interesting lineup, and it you know gives them. I think it, it was a really interesting lineup with a lot of question marks. There are a lot of reasons to like Kevin Biggio. There are a lot of reasons to like Boba Shet, Teoscar Hernandez, Vladimir Guerrero, Lourdes Gurriel. You can go down the list. Um. But who was the most sure thing of that group to be a, you know, really above average, very good major league hitter? Like, we all love Bichette, but he's played, what, 80 games in the majors? Less than that, yep. Uh, Lourdes Griel, I think he's really good. He's been doing this for a year and a half, but a year and a half right now is 130 games because it really started in the second half of 2019. And so, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, again, a lot to like there. So this does provide some stability. It provides some, um, you know, a, a proven force at the top of the lineup. And I'm assuming he's going to bat at the top of the lineup. I think there, there are some interesting questions about what the, the ramifications of him uh, joining the team and what that means for the batting order, whether, uh, you know, Kevin Biggio is still going to hit towards the top of the lineup, whether he's going to move down um, and, you know, the, the knock on effects from there. But, you know, for the most part, I, I think it's a it's a good move for everyone. I don't think it's a big, uh, you know, upgrade or downgrade for George Springer. The only thing to keep in mind is he is 31 years old, and um, injuries have been a problem for him over the course of his career. You know, it seems like there's something every year with him, um, and so you know, you just have to keep that in mind. That might not get better now that he's you know going into his age 31 season. Yep, 31 years old for George Springer still a premier athlete. The StatCast numbers pop off the page. Top 15 outfielder in head-to-head points each of the past two seasons. Top 20 outfielder in Roto in each of the past two seasons as well. Uh, I think he's actually undervalued right now with an ADP of 55.7 according to Fantasy Pros. I think that's probably going to move up a little bit now that people know where he's going to be playing. Although We still don't know where the Blue Jays are going to be playing, but we know what lineup he's going to be in. So uh, I think that might ease people a little bit and might push him back up the board. All right, uh, back to Michael Brantley. It's not like he's still joining a really good lineup. You mentioned this, Scott. He's joining the Houston Astros, and uh, we'll see what they can get out of Yordan Alvarez, how healthy he's going to be. But Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, uh, Kyle Tucker, a lot of people excited about. So Michael Brantley goes back to the Astros. Uh, still a, a very solid, solid lineup. Career 297 hitter, up over 300 batting average three straight seasons. Uh, I don't know that there's much more to add, Scott, but I will just point out ADP right around 150 for Brantley. To me, he kind of represents the final player that is a contributor in batting average in Roto or head-to-head categories leagues. So if you're looking at that in the middle part of the draft, he kind of represents that 
Cliff, unless unless you want like David Fletcher, but I, yeah, the I, sure I, things. Yeah, I still think he's going to yeah. be a very good contributor in that category. Right. Well, I, I guess one of the last proven contributors in that category who is you know isn't going to isn't going to sink you in too much else. He's not a big power hitter, but you know, very good chance he hits twenty home runs still over a full season. He is a guy who has a reputation for better being a better points league player than than roto league player. So the ADP would probably be higher if we were talking specifically points leagues. Doesn't strike out much. That's really what makes the difference there. Uh, but he is he is a batting average standout and uh, definitely a, a must start type player regardless of the format. Uh, Jay Happ went to the my uh, the Minnesota Twins. He signed a one year deal with the Twins last year with uh, the Yankees. 3.47 ERA for Hap, 105 whip. It feels like he was bad. Maybe I'm just remembering the year before. It feels like he was much worse than this, but he actually was pretty good. Change up his pitch mix a little bit. Used his four-seamer less than he had in the past. Uh, the two-seamer was up. It helped his slider play. Fangraph's metrics hate him. 3.28 expected ERA on StatCast, so that's pretty damn good. Chris, anything to see here with a 414 ADP for Jay Hap? Uh, there, I mean, he's, he's had an ERA of three, six, five or below in, let's see, two, three, four, five of the last six seasons. And nobody's ever happy to have him on their fantasy team and nobody ever wants to draft him. And, you know, he is 33 years old, 38 years old, excuse me. Yeah, he's um, old. And so at some point, maybe the, the magic trick runs out, but he, he is, the kind of guy who, you know, if you have him on the back end of your rotation, he's usually pretty helpful. He's not a huge difference maker. You're not going to miss him if you miss out on him. But uh, with the last pick in your draft, if you need an arm, um, you, know, you could do worse. Especially in those deeper leagues. Mixed Roto, 15 teamers, AL only. I think still a name to pay attention to. He'll be play- pitching in the American League Central, which I don't think will hurt J-Hap either. I will just point out, this is good news for one, Tim Anderson. He apparently liked the tweet that Ken Rosenthal sent out announcing the J-Hap signing. Tim Anderson is 9 for 16 with two home runs and a triple <laughs> lifetime against J-Hap. So it's pr- it's pretty messed up, but uh, there you oh, go. If you, I love need, that. if you needed that another reason to draft Ooh, Tim Anderson. Did somebody like find that and point that out? Yeah. Was, I, so it'll show up on your Twitter feed. I was I was searching J-Hap on Twitter to see what, I, what people were saying about him. And uh, a bunch of people were just pointing out that Tim Anderson liked it. Uh, and oh, okay. there were people that explained why. So I thought that was okay. that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, another less than exciting signing, Jose Quintana, Quintana signs a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Scott, what happened to Jose Quintana, man? <laughs> 3.51 ERA and 169 starts with the White Sox. A 4.24 ERA and 78 starts with the Chicago Cubs. Maybe he's just getting old. I don't know. Well, what happened to him, I think, was the world changed around him because you'll notice his home run rate went up about the time home runs started going up. Yeah. And and that was it. There wasn't he did he he's not an overpowering enough pitch pitcher to uh to really navigate that. He's still, you know a decent innings eater who isn't horrible at strikeouts, but you're talking about a streamer type in fantasy these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he used to be a guy who outperformed his peripherals pretty much every season, and he's no longer that guy. And so, you know, in 
in two of the four, two of the three full seasons since going to the Cubs. Um, you know, he's been at least half a run worse than his peripherals. So I think that's uh that that's kind of indicative of what Scott was saying. He just gets hit a little bit too hard. Can we, we gave up Aloy Jimenez and <laughs> Dylan Cease for him, which maybe Dylan Cease turns into nothing, but but you know what? I think their management and fans would still say they would do it. Well, was he part of the World Series team? No, I think no. he was the year. At, uh, no, the twenty seventeen was the World Series, right? Mm. Sounds like something we should know. I can't keep that stuff in my head, man. I, I'm that, pretty that is, sure that was not. He was not part of the World Series. They team. won in twenty sixteen. Ah. So, <laughs> so that was the one where they gave up uh, Glaber Torres for half a season of Aroldis Chapman. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So Jose Quintana joined the team in 2017. All right. So forget what I was about to say. I was going to say, yeah, fans will do it time and time again because he helped them win a World Series. Uh, but it turned out Jose Quintana did not help the Cubs win a World Series. Before we hit our outfield tiers, I just want to let everyone know. Well, you probably know by now if you like any type of sports, but the uh, the Chiefs and the Bills are facing off this weekend in the AFC Conference Championship, and you can watch that on CBS and CBS All Access, 6.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Hopefully, Patrick Mahomes is healthy. Should be a really fun one, of course. Uh, two high-octane offenses between the Chiefs and the Bills, and continue to send in your questions. Baseball at cbsi.com. If we don't get to them here on the podcast, I answer a lot of them myself. So continue to send those in. If you enjoy the podcast, feel free to drop a five-star Apple podcast rating and leave a question in the review. We'll answer those as well. Big thanks to everybody who has already done so. Outfield tiers, the outfield position in general. Of course, as usual, you can find all of Scott's tiers on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball should pop up. They're all out there now. They're all up. They're all. You can find them all. Available. It'll take you eight clicks, but you can find them. (laughs) On the interwebs. Um, Scott, I would say just judging the outfield position, like shortstop, I I think this is up there as one of the best positions for a multitude of reasons. It's extremely deep. It's filled with elite talent up at the top. I feel like the middle parts of the position doesn't really, like it doesn't dull out or anything. I think it's just a really, really strong position throughout. Maybe you feel differently because you're making a face. I'm going to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. Okay. Um, I think it, look, there are five players that are for sure going in the first round, five outfielders. And, and, you know, they, it, it, four of the first five picks might be outfielders. So it's there. There are some big studs at the top, kind of like a shortstop. And outfield is never a thin position. I mean, just by virtue of having three times as many players as any other position, there there's always going to be talent to be had in the outfield. But I do think once you get past those super studs, um, there there isn't a lot worth reaching for here. It, it's it's a position where. Um, we did when we did our most recent roto mock draft. I pointed out probably ten rounds in that I didn't have an outfielder yet, and then people started chiming in that they only had one. You know, like nobody had an outfielder yet except for maybe a couple guys at that point, just because there weren't that many worth drafting through that point in the draft. Even though it was a league where everybody needed five outfielders, uh, it's a position that's you're more likely to load up on in the middle to late stages of the draft than in like the round. 
four to eight range, I guess. Okay. So extremely top. It is top heavy. Uh, maybe doles out a little bit there in the middle, but I think your point about it just being deep in general, like I I'm doing a 15 team roto draft right now. And I think my first outfielder was Conforto and I got him in the, in the fifth round. And I, you know, I was perfectly fine with that. I think I grabbed five outfielders between rounds five and 15 or something. And, and I was perfectly fine with how it turned out. So uh, I do think there are a lot of names that you could attack in that range, but let's start up at the top with the super elite tier, which includes Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto, and Christian Yelich. We still have Christian Yelich here in the super elite tier. All of these players will be gone in the first round of 12 team leagues or deeper. I guess if you play in a 10 teamer, there's a chance Christian Yelich will not be drafted in the first round. Uh, and a fun fact, Mike Trout and Mookie Betts are the only two hitters who average over four fantasy points in each of the past three seasons. So they are pretty good. They are format proof. You can draft Mookie Betts or Mike Trout in either format within the first five picks. Although some people have been fading him uh, more so in Roto. I want to do a quick worryometer just on this top group because I don't really think there's much to add, but uh, I'll just ask you guys. Uh, Scott, for Ronald Acuna, worryometer on the strikeouts, which we saw go up to right around 29% in the shortened season. That was a career high for Ronald Acuna. Worryometer, 1 to 10 on Acuna strikeouts. One. <laughs> One. I, I mean, it was, uh, it was a short season, and it was a season where he had, I'm pretty sure, a career high in point per game average. Well, so, he walked you know, 19% of the time. Yeah. yeah, okay. So the walks went way up, too. Yeah, I, I just think it's a non-issue at this point. Yep, I would agree. His 11.5% swinging strike rate is right in line with his career mark. So uh, I would expect the strikeout rate to come down to his career, you know, 25, 26, I would expect. Probably more so that range for Ronald Cunha. We'll just wrap up here. Chris, uh, Christian Yelich, everything. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 it's probably like a six for most people and a three for me. Um it's better than like, a one. I, everyone else I've asked about has been a one. Yeah, so I was the, like, the this, biggest, this is I mean, a pretty yeah, dumb exercise. Like the elite of the elites in not just the outfield position, but really in fantasy baseball. You know, yeah. I have Christian Yelich, I think 11th or 10th in my overall rankings. Uh, seventh, sorry. So, um, yeah. He's never had that issue with contact before. It was a short, weird season. The, the Brewers, you know, some of the Brewers players talked about how they never felt like they got ready for the season. Um, I'm willing to chalk that up to, you know, just a bad year. And I'm really not concerned about it at all. Mookie Betts, I couldn't really find something to be worried about. I guess the biggest thing would be is if his steals kind of dropped back off to the level that they were two years ago. But I mean, even then, he's still 16 bases in 2019 with the Red Sox across 115, uh, 150 games. So I'm, Mookie Betts might be the safest of all of them. So I'm not, I'm just, not worried about him at all. Uh, some fun with numbers. I'll just quickly let you guys know. Acuna's last 162 games. This is hilarious. It is 47 home runs, 150 runs scored, 43 steals. So he has averaged almost a run scored per game over his last 162 games. So just that is like unbelievable. Yeah, that's <laughs> I don't know early like mid 90s Barry Bonds. It's stuff. insane. Uh, the elite tier includes two names, Cody Bellinger and Bryce Harper, who are going about four picks apart in ADP. Bellinger with an ADP of 14 on the dot. Bryce Harper at 18.3. Scott, which would you pref prefer between the two? Bellinger or Harper? 
Bellinger, especially since he's first base eligible. And it, you know, he, he still has the ceiling of a top five player. He just has a lot of weird stuff going on <laughs> that I think makes him worth approaching with caution. Uh, last spring, he talked about adjusting his swing for some reason, coming off an MVP season, he was going to adjust his swing. Okay. Uh, and, and then he had a bad year. Interestingly, the biggest stride he made in that MVP 2019 season, reducing the strikeouts, a, a great reduction in strikeout rate. As a matter of fact, that actually held. But the stats overall were not so great. Certainly not what we were looking for. Um, he had a few home runs in the postseason, but overall the postseason line wasn't that great. And in the postseason, he dislocated his shoulder and needed surgery. So now he's coming back from shoulder surgery too. And, um, yeah, I, I just think when I first put together my rankings, I had him going back to back with Yelich at the end of round one, but as, as I've drafted, I've found it easier to easier and easier to bypass him. And now I see him as more like a mid second rounder, which is about where Bryce Harper goes. Yes. Scott, let the, let the hate flow through you on Cody Bellinger. (laughs) Um, Chris, I can't really, I, I shouldn't make Star Wars references. Who am I? Like, I don't even, I'm such a fraud right now. This is, why did I do that? It gives you, use your anger. It gives you focus. <laughs> See, it's a little bit more legitimate when, when it comes from Chris, uh, from Chris's mouth rather than mine. I do love the, uh, I have the higher ground, Anakin. That's probably one of my favorites. But I love that scene. <laughs> it's a great scene. It's a great scene. Uh, Chris, I assume uh, you are in the Bellinger over Harper camp as well considering i think it was before we started maybe after we started you mentioned you're really high on bellinger yeah i I have him uh 11th overall and and i have harper 16th so it's not a huge gap but yeah i do uh the the upside with with bellinger gives him just a a little bit of an edge i am uh in the camp of harper over bellinger Uh, i don't mind being on an island (laughs) i was on a bunch of islands last year uh the reasoning for me harper still just 28 years old i think people might kind of view him as older than he actually is. And uh, Harper has actually been better than Bellinger in two of the past three years in both Roto and in head-to-head fantasy points per game. Um, And I think most people's argument will be that Bellinger's upside is higher because he finishes the fifth overall player in 2019, of course, and he won the National League MVP. But it was a long time ago. Harper in 2015 also won the National League MVP. He finishes the sixth overall player in Roto that year. There's just a few things going on with Bellinger that worry me. It's uh, struggles against lefties each of the past uh, two of the past three years. Harper great against lefties in uh, in 2020, 966 OPS, 827 OPS for his career. So I don't worry about the splits for Harper and the Statcast numbers. Scott, I know you've pointed this out many times. They were fantastic for Harper. They were best his, of his career. Yeah, his Statcast numbers were better in 2020, shortened season, than they were in his MVP year. So do with that what you will. He hit 268. His expected batting average was 307. Cut those strikeouts back down. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Harper over Bellinger, but you're splitting hairs there. The near elite tier includes Whit Merrifield, who you should probably use at second base. Marcelo Zuna, who we're waiting to sign. He's currently a free agent. Kyle Tucker, Aaron Judge, George Springer, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, who is lower in points leagues, and Starling Marte, who is also lower in points leagues. The ADP for this tier ranges from 35 with Kyle Tucker down to 56 with George Springer, which 
I feel is relevant because that's the point of tiers, right? Just kind of wait for the back end of this tier. And if you could get someone like Springer, who I still really like, and we've spoken a lot about the past couple of days, why wouldn't you do it? So I think that's interesting. Uh, if you're into conspiracy theories, Jeff Zimmerman pointed this out. His Mining the News article over on Fangraphs, he does a great job. He digs into like all these different kind of athletic and MLB.com articles for, for tidbits. Uh, he found this. Luis Robert made a tough diving catch on September 5th, was hit by a pitch on his tricep in September, on September 6th. From September 7th on, Luis Robert hit 153. Scott, does that make you want to draft Luis Robert anymore at ADP 39? Not really. There was a lot of reason to be worried about the direction his stats were going to take even leading up to that magical date. And I just don't know. I mean, certainly if you're looking for a glass half full argument, that's that's a fine one to make. I'm just not I'm just not totally convinced by it. He he has a pretty uh undisciplined profile that I think I think is going to hold him back early in his career. Probably not forever. And and look, he still belongs in this tier in, in Roto Leagues, even if you're anticipating a 240-ish batting average because of that power-speed combo. I mean, he really proved the speed in his rookie season that that was going to translate. So that's a good thing. But I don't... He's going to be a liability for batting average. I feel pretty confident saying. The ADP for Robert and Eloy Jimenez, his teammate, is 39 on the dot, Scott. So who would you rather have in in Roto? Because I, I assume it's easier in points leagues just because Robert's going to strike out so much. So in Roto, who yeah. would you rather have, Robert or right. Eloy? As you pointed out, Robert is a tier lower in points leagues, so they're not even in the same tier in that format. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, it, I have Jimenez ranked one spot ahead. It would depend on how I was doing with stolen bases at that point in the draft. Yeah, that that makes sense. It's based on team build, but this is a late third, early fourth round pick. So it comes down to how you personally like to construct your team. If you want to attack steals early, or if you'd rather go with uh, the better batting average bet and better power, I think Eloy is probably the name for you. Uh, I do have Eloy ranked higher in both formats myself. Kyle Tucker, great last year. Uh, Chris, I know he was someone that you were interested in and you were kind of leading the charge in, you know, why draft Luis Robert at his ADP when you can get Kyle Tucker so much later. Uh, Tucker wound up batting 268 with nine home runs and eight steals with an 837 OPS in 50 games. The ADP for Tucker now is at 35. So a borderline third, fourth round pick. And the argument I would make against him, Chris, is that you can get Trent Grisham 25 picks later who hit 250 with 10 homers and 10 steals. The XBA for both was nearly identical and Grisham's expected slugging percentage was actually better than Kyle Tucker's. So what would you say to that? Uh, the, I guess what I would say to that is just Kyle Tucker's uh, prospect pedigree and minor league track record were quite a bit better. You know, you look at what Grisham did and outside of 2019, it was kind of just so-so. 2019 was a significant breakout for him. Uh, I believe he changed his approach, though, in the minors that year. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, you know, Kyle Tucker didn't need to change his approach to put up similar numbers. No, I, I just, I think Kyle Tucker's a better bet for stolen bases. I, I think he's a better player overall. And, and, you know, maybe that's putting too much into scouting reports from 2018. But um, given that, you know, we saw Grisham in a very similar sample size in 2019, and he wasn't anywhere near the player that we saw in 2020. So we have 110 game sample size of him in the majors where he's fine, 
you know, 110 games, 16 home runs, 11 stolen bases. I don't see why we would necessarily put so much more weight on 2020's 59 games than 2019's 51. It is the more recent one, but you know, that it's not like the change in approach happened after 2019. The breakout happened in the minors before that. Um, and so I just think Kyle Tucker's a bit more of a sure thing. The next best, next best things tier features Charlie Blackman, Trent Grisham, Nick Castellanos, Kevin Biggio, Brandon Lau, Dominic Smith, Randy Arozarena, a lot of names here, so stick with me, uh, Will Myers, Teoscar Hernandez, Michael Conforto, Mike Yastrzemski, Lourdes Curiel, Joey Gallo, who's lower in points, Jeff McNeil, Austin Meadows, Michael Brantley, who is lower in categories, and Max Kepler, who is also lower in categories. And I realize there's a lot of names to follow here, so if you want to pull up the article and kind of read that and follow along while we're doing the podcast here, feel free to do so. So lots of names in this tier, uh, ranges from Randy Rosarena at, at pick 69 all the way down to Joey Gallo at pick 158. Uh, Randy Rosarena, just the talk of the postseason, uh, the offseason as well. So I wanted to give each of you a certain amount of time, whatever it might be. We'll, we'll go with a minute. You don't have to go a minute. You could go a minute or less. But Scott, we'll start with you. Uh, your thoughts in general, your evaluation of a Rosarena last year and how you view him for this upcoming season. Well, uh, going into last year, he looked like kind of, he wasn't even in my top 100 prospects, you know, and, and he was the uh, Rays traded Matthew Liberator for him. And, and everyone was like, oh, that must mean something's wrong with Matthew Liberator when it turns out maybe the Rays just saw something in Rando, Randy Arrows Arena and that's what it took to get him. He hit 17 home runs between the regular and postseason. Um, he hit more like I, I think that was I think that was as many home runs as Mike Trout hit, but in fewer at bats. I, I can't remember a guy who had, you know, this sudden burst of productions that added up to as many as 17 home runs and and then, you know, turned back into a pumpkin after that. So I don't I don't know. I, I have I have my doubts, but like you don't have to be all in on Randy Arrow's arena given his ADP and the fact he can also steal some bases. Like it, it, it seems like a good gamble to take. It is is kind of interesting to compare, you know, like, like here's a similar player, Luke Voigt in 2018 played 39 games for the Yankees hit 14 home runs had a 1095 OPS, not quite as good as what Randy or Rosarena. And he was a little bit older, although I think it was only about a, a three year gap, but you're, you're talking about, you know, relatively similar minor league uh, profiles, you know, kind of came out of nowhere late in the season. And uh, Luke Voigt was certainly not a top 100 pick. Um, And he was really quite good in 2019 for the most part. Um, uh, You probably can't fake what Randy Arozarena did. If you're able to do that, uh, you're probably pretty good. But it's not a guarantee. You know, let's let's think back on some some guys who weren't quite as good, but Austin Riley. You know, what was it? Fourteen home runs in his first uh, two months. Yeah, two months. Uh, Aristides Aquino at the end of the 2019 season, I believe, had a similar run. Um, the Punisher. Yeah, it wasn't. Again, Arozarena did it in a high, higher profile situation against you know more consistently top level competition, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's a superstar. 
it also doesn't necessarily mean he's not. He very well could be. Um, so, you know, Randy Rosarena in, in conclusion is a land of contrasts. <laughs> I was about to say, you just said a lot there, Chris. So let's sum it up. Nothing. <laughs> let's sum it up like this. The ADP 69, would you draft him there? Sixth round? No. No. Okay. Mercy! And you get one yeah, of those because that's, that's higher than I thought it was, to be honest. He's, I mean, he's been I, going I later in our, our drafts. I have him 84, so it's not like I'm like, you know, crushing him or anything. Uh, it's just a little too early for me. By the way, if we're looking at this from a tiers perspective, I think I got that breakdown wrong a little earlier. It was actually like the round two through six range where there's not a lot going on in the outfield. Maybe the two through six, seven range. Because here, this, ticket, this tier gets big, like you said, Frank. And this is where I often get a couple outfielders from this tier. Uh, I'm, I'm back in on Nick Castellanos, who's this tier, in, in this tier. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Michael Conforto. I've, I've drafted him as my first outfielder in a couple leagues already, Frank. It's, uh, you know, I don't mind taking the gamble on Teoscar. I mean, on Randy Arozarena. I do mind on Teoscar Hernandez, actually. And he's also in this tier. Mm. Yeah, I love this tier as well. So basically what you're saying, Scott, is the near elite tier, which kind of spans that whole round three through five range basically is probably one that you're fading. That's, that's what I'm gaining from this so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think there's higher priorities at that point. It's yeah, not I mean, that, I mean, I like the value of George Springer in, in, in like a, a vacuum, but it still requires a fifth round pick. Right. And I just, there's something else I need more in the fifth round. Yeah. You look at, you know, the elite, the near elite tier and, and one thing that, that's worth keeping in mind about that tier is it's kind of either guys who are getting pushed up because of stolen bases or, you know, pretty significant injury risks. And then there's, you know, Eloy Jimenez is kind of the only, uh, or significant injury risks or older guys. And then Eloy Jimenez kind of stands alone. Um, Eloy has some injury risk as well. You know, I, yeah, I'm one of the biggest Eloy supporters out there, but it's something we, we do have to consider and keep in mind. I mean, he, he has not had a clean bill of health in his major league career and his minor league career. So keep that in mind for Eloy. Um, just wrap up this next best things. Scott, you pointed out some outfielders you like here. I I love this tier as well. Austin Meadows. I'm going to be all over him. Uh, You know, he was a third, fourth round pick last year, had the weird COVID season dealt with an oblique injury uh, people are worried about him potentially being platooned. I don't worry about it because his numbers against lefties, both in 2019 and 2018, uh, were very good. So Austin Meadows, I'm I'm buying back in on hard there. Castellanos, I love as well. Uh, Trent Grisham, I don't, I actually don't mind at the cost. The fallback options, there's a lot of names here as well. Tommy Pham, Eddie Rosario, current free agent, Dylan Moore, Anthony Santander, Clint Frazier, Ryan Mountcastle, AJ Pollock, Kyle Lewis. Ramon Moriano, Alex Verdugo, Mark Canna, who is lower in categories, Byron Buxton, who is lower in points, uh, Dylan Carlson, Trey Mancini, and Ian Happ. My biggest takeaway from this tier is <laughs> Tommy Pham is basically held together by duct tape at this point, and, and I realize that. But <laughs> playing through a partially torn UCL, fractured his hamate bone last season, uh, fractured his foot back in 2018, he had... LASIK surgery in the past. He turns 33 years old in March. And with all that being said, Chris, 
I, I really like Tommy Pham. His, his ADP is 121, at least 20 homers and 15 steals in each of 2017 through 2019. He hit 219 last season. Uh, his expected batting average was 266. So I, I still really like Tommy Pham. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that he's just, he's 33, or he will be on opening day. Um, and, you know, when you're that age and when we're starting to see some skill, skill declines, in addition to, you know, the, the ever-present threat of injury, um, you know, I think skepticism is warranted, but I think he's a good value. You know, if he, if he does manage to stay healthy and, and play 125 games, he's going to be, you know, probably a, a pretty significant uh, contributor for your Roto team. And actually, he's, you know, quite good in points leagues. As yep. well, the question will be, uh, is it 125 games with like 65 and then 60 and 35 games off in between them? Or is it, you know, five games a week, I guess, is kind of one of the questions with Tommy Pham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, walks a decent bit, doesn't strike out all that much. Uh, joined a team that likes to run a lot, too. And sprint speed, sprint speed still looks pretty good. I'm uh, going to move on to the next here just so we can uh, we have some time to get to starting pitchers as well. But the last resorts, Chris Taylor, Yasiel Puig, free agent currently. Uh, yeah, Loren- he ever signs, right? <laughs> yeah, Lorenzo Cain, Andrew Benintendi, Victor Robles, who would be lower in a points league, Andrew McCutcheon, Jesse Winker, David Dahl, Nick Senzel, um, Jared Kalenic. Tommy Edmond, who is lower in a points league. Uh, Alex Kirilov, Aaron Hicks, Brandon Nimmo, who would be lower in a categories league. Scott, who's your favorite from this group? Alex Kirilov yes. is my favorite from this group. Uh, I there, there are a lot of playing time issues within this group, but I, I think his is going to be pretty solid. And it, if, if he meets his full potential right away, I mean... He could be a stud. He could be a stud. Not going to steal bases, but he could be a stud in every other way. I will say, for some reason, the Fangraphs projections have him for like seven or eight steals. It's probably not going to happen, but I don't know. They see something there with him. So, uh, big prospect there in Kirilov. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about him as well. There's two other tiers we didn't get to. Again, you can find those on the site, cbsportscom slash fantasy slash baseball. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll hit the starting pitcher tiers here, Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. So when it comes to starting pitchers, I've seen a few people point this out on Twitter, and uh, it has me thinking. Is our aggressiveness on starting pitchers irrational? Because theoretically, there are still many unknowns for even the top tier at this position. We, we assume that the, the top of this position uh, will have no limitations, uh, but they could also be susceptible to injury, ramping up, throwing more innings, m- many more innings this season than last season. Uh, and there are workload concerns, uh, just like there are for anybody else among pitchers. So, Scott, what do you think about that? You, do you think us moving up, moving pitchers up to draft board is irrational based on this this mindset? I'm being selective in who... I, I definitely value experience and having done it before. I, I've always valued that when it comes to workload, but especially coming off such a short season. I think those guys are going to have a leash. I, I can't guarantee none of them will get hurt. Obviously, that's always a, a, an issue at, at pitcher, especially, and really for any player, but especially a pitcher. And investing early in pitching is is a higher risk game. I just think it's become it, it's become essential because you can't you can't win without good pitching, and it's too hard to get good pitching if you don't invest in it. You're it's it's such a tight rope that you can't reasonably expect to walk it. Um, so that's where it is. Like you're, which, which is why kind of my approach to countering the risk is to just invest even heavier in pitching to, to, uh, um, you know, help, help, uh, help navigate that, that injury situation and to trust yourself to be able to find hitters on the fly, because that's, that's, it's more common to do that off the waiver wire than it is to find a great starting pitcher off the waiver wire these days. Yeah, very well said, Scott. And uh, we, I had uh, Toby at Batflip Crazy on Twitter on this podcast right around Thanksgiving time. You can go back and listen to it on demand, but a lot of strategy discussion, and he was very, very big on pocket aces last year, using your first two picks on starting pitchers. And Scott, I know that you were very aggressive with doing that as well. That's how you won the Mixed Tout Wars League, uh, and I know that Toby had a lot of uh, success um, in his high-stakes endeavors as well. So you could go well, back and listen to that, but his whole reasoning was that you doubled down on starting pitcher early almost as an insurance policy so that like if one of them busts, hopefully the other one is there to like pick them up. And if they both hit, then you're just way ahead of the field on starting pitching. So, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. To me, that's still cutting it too close. Like I want four of the top 30, ideally. Like I, I want to be able to count on two going down for a stretch and not even just one. Cause you know, if, if you're the guy who drafted Verlander and Scherzer with your first two picks, Last year, you, it didn't go so well for you. Oh, let's say Verlander and Strasburg, you know, like yeah. disaster. You know, it still wasn't enough. Um, so I, I understand you have to draw the line somewhere and, and still focus on hitting and still get some good hitters. But I just think those are easier to find at all stages of the draft and after the draft's over off the waiver wire. It depends on the depth of the league to a degree. Yes, 15-team leagues, it's harder to find them on the waiver wire. But it's still easier than to get a stud pitcher that way. The super elite tier, CBD as I like to call them, Cole, Bieber, and DeGrom. Uh, Sneak peek, our full rankings will be out next week, but I have these three starting pitchers. 
as my top three overall players in head-to-head points leagues. Chris, is that too aggressive? Uh, no, I have Jacob deGrom as my number one player, and I have those three in my top six in head-to-head points, so I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, but, but Chris, deGrom can't win games. Well, I'm kind of at the point with DeGrom sort of where I am with Trout and where, like, you know, Garrett Cole in 2019, Shane Bieber in 2020. There's always a new guy who puts up very similar numbers to what Jacob DeGrom just, like, has done for four straight years. And I guess the the counter to that would be he's 34. Will be 34 this year or 33? He's old enough to where you can start thinking man, you're durable until you aren't. And he's had some, you know, kind of nagging concerns. He's had some some little elbow things here and there over the last couple of years. But um, I'm kind of at the point where I just, I can't see an argument really for anyone but DeGrom, number one overall. Like everyone else's outlier, wow, everything went right for you year is as good as Jacob DeGrom's normal good year uh, with the exception of those wins. That's the thing that kind of, has tended to push him down the draft or the the final rankings every year. You know, he usually finishes four or five wins below, you know, the other guys in his tier. But if he wins as many games as Shane Bieber this season or Garrett Cole, I think he's going to be a better fantasy option. And so given how fungible wins are and given how, uh, you know, hard to predict, I, I think he's number one at starting pitcher with a bullet. And who knows, given the way the last few years have gone, maybe he'll come out and throw 104 miles an hour this year. And he just keeps adding velocity to his fastball somehow. What I'll say about wins is I think they're a lot like touchdowns in fantasy football where you, you can't really project them, and I, I'm not sure that they are a tangible skill. The only thing that really goes into wins that we can correlate is going deep into games and I guess yeah. you know having a good Pitching bullpen well. and, and good run support. But theoretically, the Mets have all those things. The, Met, the Mets offense just ranked second in the league in OPS, and they added Francisco Lindor. So it's it's not really on him. Like this is the best version of of DeGrom that we've seen. He goes deep into his starts. He's absolutely filthy. He gets a ton of strikeouts. Yeah. I think he's just been unlucky and I think this is like a streak of unluckiness. So I'm I'm not holding that against him. One of these years I think it's going to work out and he's just going to go off and win like 18 to 20 games. So Yeah. I'm, and that's I'm not the thing. Really if he wins 18 to 20 games, there's very little doubt in my mind that he will be you know, maybe not the number one starting pitcher, but probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, the elite tier includes Trevor Bauer, Hugh Darvish, Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, <laughs> Luis Castillo, Kenta Maeda, Jack Flaherty, Walker Bueller, Zach Gallen, Carlos mm-hmm. Carrasco, and Brandon Woodruff. Lots of names uh, in that tier. ADP yeah. ranging from 15 with Bauer down to 48 with Maeda. Scott, by the end of this tier... How many starting pitchers do you want on your roster? Wow, I am certainly the high guy on Maeda because I'm in the middle of this tier. Uh, how many pitchers do I want on my roster by the end here? I would say three, ideally. Um, now, our most recent head-to-head mock, I only had two. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't like the way it felt. I didn't tisk, like the way it felt, Frank. Tisk, tisk. Yeah, I want, I want three by the end of this tier. Can I offer a new name for, uh, for this tier? Sure. Uh, either why pocket aces makes sense or why waiting on starting pitcher makes sense because this is a crazy volatile group <laughs> of pitchers. Um, you've got, you know, not all of them are volatile. You've got Aaron Nola who's done it for a long time. 
You've got, mm-hmm. I mean, you have the face of volatility in this tier and he's right at the top, Chris. It's, it's Trevor, Trevor Bauer. Bauer. Right. Like Trevor Bauer, we did this three years ago or two years ago, I guess, heading into 2019. We did this with, uh, you know, I had him as my number four starting pitcher. I bought in completely. And there are reasons why I, you know, I think 2020 might've been a bit more sustainable, but there are also <laughs> reasons to be skeptical. This was, uh, you know, he had the easiest schedule by far. Uh, you know, with pitching for the Cincinnati Reds against the, the NL and AL Central. He had a pretty significant difference between his ERA and his FIP, which is going to happen when you have like a 1-7 ERA. Um, but, you know, he wasn't quite as dominant based on the underlying peripherals. And you have the track record. Uh, but it's not just that. You have Darvish. You have, I think Giolito's pretty safe, but you have Scherzer with the injury history. You have... Maeda, who's only really done it in that one shortened season. You have Flaherty, who's been super volatile. Walker Bueller, who's been very good, but doesn't have the the track record of that workload. You've got Carrasco, who is 34 years old. You've got, you know, Gallon and Woodruff, I think, are, you know, as safe as you can be for pitchers who are that young uh, or, you know, relatively new in their careers, I guess. Um but this is a very scary tier where, you know, I think you're probably going to end up looking at the end of the season at half of these guys busting. And it's just impossible to say which ones will. Mm-hmm. I disagree that it's volatile. I, I think, I think among starting pitchers, this is, I mean, as much stability as you're going to find. I mean, remember you Darvish, he had that kind of two year blip with the Cubs where he wasn't very good, but for the rest of his career, he's been an elite, pitcher in fantasy and right, but he's old. obviously taken it to a new level the last two years but he is um, old yeah i don't know i certainly like <laughs> like this tier compared to the next tier it's safer compared to the tier after that it's safe well, sure you <laughs> but know I think like this kind of highlights what historically uh has been the case which is that Pitchers, and then this is research that I did last season, and I'll, I'll update it, but pitchers drafted in the first two rounds tend to return a very good return on investment, very similar to hitters. Uh, from rounds three on, there is a very low correlation between draft cost and final results. And now, the problem with that is, like I said, it's really hard to say which of these pitchers, and it's not just this group. Uh, you know, really, I think, from what I remember of the data, it was like from rounds three through nine, there was very little difference between how high a pitcher was taken and how much they uh, returned on uh, investment. Like your your round four pick was not necessarily more valuable at starting pitcher than your round nine pick based on on history. But <laughs> which of those round nine guys are going to pitch like the round four guys and which of the round four guys are going to pitch like the round 25 guys and which of the round, you know, yeah, that's that's always the hard thing to say. Yep, and well, uh, you took the thought, you know, right from my head, Chris, because that's something that I have uh, read in the past as well. It's really like that mid tier of starting pitcher is the toughest to predict, and the return on on investment is very um, volatile. I mean, that's yeah. that's the key word that we're using here. The return on investment is pretty tough to figure out there. So that's why, uh, if you need another reason, I just keep pumping up like drafting two pitchers in the first two rounds or two in the first three, trying to get like mm-hmm. two of whoever is ranked inside your top 10 or 12 um, and then maybe taking a few rounds off and then attacking the position a little bit later on. But yeah, uh, I have, I have noticed that as well with that mid tier, the near elite, which features some of, some of those 
uh, some of those ranked pitchers. Lance Lynn, Blake Snell, Denelson Lamette, Tyler Glass now, Steven Strasburg, Corbin Burns, Zach Greinke, Hyunjin Ryu, Zach Plesak, and Kyle Hendricks. So this is an interesting tier. I mean, you have injury concerns with uh, Snell to a degree. Denelson Lamette, Tyler Glass now, Steven Strasburg's coming back from surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, workload concerns with Corbin Burns. Sample size concerns with Zach Plesak, who we've only see we've only seen been awesome for eight starts for that he just had this season. So uh, th- he's the name I wanted to focus on. Uh, he's very very polarizing. Some people willing to take him in. I see him f- go as a top ten starting pitcher inside the first three rounds. Uh, yeah. And there's other drafts where he lasts to round six or round seven. So uh, I wanted to make the case for and against. Which side of the coin would you guys like to be on, Scott? I mean, I'll be for because I, I think I am generally for him. Okay. Go. You have 30 seconds starting right now. So he entirely changed his pitch mix last year in a way that made all the pitches better. Got a lot more swinging strikes. He he had the best rate of going seven plus innings per start of, of any starting pitcher. So he was efficient. He would, the, the, the Cleveland let him work deep into games and the skill level was dramatically improved. It all, it all points to this big rise in production that he had small sample. I hear you, but you know, people weren't, people weren't arguing too hard against Zach gallon for that at this time last year. You know, at some point you just got to take a leap of faith. Mercy. You were 10 seconds over Scott, the case against Zach Plesek. Chris, Chris, you mean? Yeah. Chris. Um, sample size. Like, go. yes, yes, it was a small sample <laughs> size for Zach Allen, but uh, he also had a minor league track record that was, you know, I think well, a, a, quite a look, bit more look impressive. Look at Plesek's. Look at Plesek's. Well, Plesek's was pretty good in 2019 and, you know, 60 some odd innings in the minors. And then he got called up to the majors and a 494 FIP, um, mm-hmm. you know, 2018, 122 innings at uh, high A, he had a 404 ERA and then 22 innings at double A, he was really good. And so um, it's just a small sample size. He's not a hard thrower. Uh, there are just, just a lot of ways it can go wrong. Um, and if you're talking about, you know, Potentially, if you want him in some drafts, you might have to take him in the fifth round. It, there are more ways that goes wrong than goes right, I think. The next best things, Max Freed, Zach Wheeler, Sonny Gray, Framber Valdez, Dylan Bundy, Jose Barrios, and Chris Paddock. Uh, lots of polarizing names here. Many thoughts that people have on, on Valdez. You either love him or hate him. And Chris Paddock, who I you know find myself drafting a decent bit, uh, this is the tier for me, Scott. Where by the end of this group, I, I want at least four starting pitchers. This this is close mm-hmm. to right around my top thirty. I think this kind of ranges into like my top 33, 34 starting pitchers. Um, so by the end of this, I really want at least four starting pitchers on yeah. my team, if not more. Yeah, I would say five. I've yep. It hasn't always worked out that way, but. I always love my pitching when I get Fromber Valdez in there as my fifth starting pitcher. And, and this tier is kind of the guys I feel like could go either way. There's certainly a case for them being um, high-end, must-start, borderline ace type of pitchers. But, you know, we saw Barrios and Paddock fall well short of that last year. We saw Bundy and Valdez fall well short of that for their entire career until <laughs> last year. Um, 
And we've seen Sonny Gray be all over the place throughout his career, including just within last year. He looked like the best pitcher in the world uh, at the start and then was, you know, kind of limping to the finish line. Um, Wheeler and Freed, you know, I don't know that they really have elite upside, either one of them, but they're they're high floor and um, I, I think they're close enough that that they're worth tiering with that uh, tiering with everyone else there. In fact, I actually ranked them the highest in the tier. Yeah. Wheeler in particular is somebody that I've been targeting. If you want a uh, workload and if you want volume, because he was going very deep into his starts uh, last season in 11 starts, he went, he went five and two thirds in all of them. He went at least six in eight out of 11. So uh, we, you know, less strikeouts than usual. He was pitching more to contact, but that allowed him to go deeper into starts. So uh, someone that I'm looking at for volume, again, that is Zach Wheeler. The fallback options, Ian Anderson, Sixto Sanchez, Jesus Lazardo, Lance McCullers, Patrick Corbin, Charlie Morton, Mike Soroka, Julio Arias, Sandy Alcantara, Herman Marquez, Kevin Gausman, Gausman, and Tristan McKenzie. I got to stop making that mistake. Someone emailed in last year and they're like, stop saying his name like that. For Kevin <laughs> Gosman. Um yeah, this is a pretty fun tier outside of Patrick Corbin. <laughs> I don't I don't want I don't want to poo-poo him too much. Uh Scott, uh Chris. Chris, we'll go to you. Uh expectations for some of the the Marlins you got the hat on. Got your got your Marlins hat on. You can see it on our YouTube channel. Um Sixto Sanchez and Sandy Alcantara in this group. Sixto is, I think, one of the biggest question marks when it comes to in, uh innings because he was someone who was held back quite a bit in his minor league career. Uh, his career high in innings was 114 innings thrown in 2019. He threw, I guess, with the playoffs, probably 48 or so. Uh, I think he made two starts in the playoffs. How much are they going to let him throw? Is he going to be a 125-inning guy? Um, you know, that might be where it is, but I think he's you know, going to do a very similar... I, I think he could be like a Jose Barrios type in that time. I think he could go deep into games. I think he could be a very effective pitcher. Um, and there's a chance that he starts getting the swinging strikes that his stuff would make you think. But Alcantara is probably the better option for fantasy. He uh, actually does consistently go deep into games. And, um, you know, basically since the second half of the 2019 season, he's been, you know, he's, he's cut the walks to a more manageable place. And I think he can be very similar to someone like Zach Wheeler. I think maybe not, uh, you know, maybe a little riskier in terms of whip, but Sandy Alcantara, I, I think in this range, you know, makes a lot of sense as, um, you know, especially in a head-to-head points league, I think. So this is kind of the tier of workload concerns, right? Because not only Sixto Sanchez, you got Ian Anderson in here, Jesus Lazardo, Tristan McKenzie, you know, I think Lance McCullers fits in that category, mm-hmm. Mike Soroka, Julio Arias, um, and then, you know, with them are guys like Patrick Corbin, Charlie Morton, uh, who we've seen be really good in the past, but just tanked in 2020 in a way that makes you wonder if they'll ever be good again. And actually Morton did bounce back pretty well. Yeah. He was um, awesome in the postseason. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to Cor- have a lot of Corbin and Morton. Corbin had his velocity wasn't right all year. And maybe it was because of the weird buildup. I mean, that's certainly... That certainly could prove to be true, but I would have liked to see a little glimmer of something from him that we never got. 
Yeah, Corbin, I believe it was, gave up 24 hits over his final two starts, and he had the highest whip of all qualified starting pitchers. So mm. uh, he was a little, little bit worried bad. about Corbin, but uh, if you're like Chris... He was Chris, like a top 12 starting pitcher three years before in a row before that, or at least two. Two. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just want to buy the dip, you can get him at a much... At a huge discount compared to years past. The last resorts, I'm not going to read all these names because there is a lot. Scott, in uh, let's say 30 seconds or less, give me your favorite from this group, the last resorts. So I'm not totally comfortable with all the names in this tier. I was really wrestling with it last night, wondering if if the cutoff is exactly where it should be. It gets hard late in the pitching categories. Uh, you asked for my, how many favorite? Yeah, just one. One favorite? Um... <laughs> Gosh, it's probably the guy. It's probably the guy right at the very top, Corey Kluber. Uh, that's the one I'm like because that's the one who I think has the clearest opportunity to ascend as many as three tiers. You know, it, he's either right or he's not right. And uh, if he's right, then you, the last time we saw him pitch healthy, 2018, he was a Cy Young contender, like he 20 game winner. You know, he was he was as good as he's ever been. So. I think he's worth the gamble at this point. I do like Joe Musgrove a lot, as it seems like everybody is starting to. Uh, but I don't think he has quite the same ceiling as Kluber. I, I'm a little surprised you don't have Musgrove in, in the tier above, Scott. But, I mean, I, we've talked. I, he'll, I be there in, he'll be there in September. <laughs> uh, it's Chris, you're, you're just going gonna, gonna to lean on that joke all offseason. <laughs> Chris, your favorite in this group? Uh Relative to price, I'm going to have, I think Marco Gonzalez, I'm just resigned to having him on every single one of my teams. And that was pretty much the case last year as well. Chris, uh, when's your birthday? Exactly. What's that? When's your birthday? July 4th. Okay. So Scott Marco and I will. Gonzalez jersey? Yeah. Scott and I will okay. pitch in for that. Uh, it's, his birthday is easy to remember. Yeah. He's, um, he, he's the exact opposite of the kind of player fantasy baseball Twitter tends to get excited about. He doesn't throw hard. He doesn't have like a, a, a wicked curveball or anything, but you know he's basically he's been very useful three years in a row for fantasy, and he was really good last year. Um, you know, in ways that weren't dissimilar from you know s- some guys who who I think we're a lot more excited about, like like a Zach Plezak. Actually, the 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 strikeout and walk numbers are very similar for the two of them. The swing and strike rate obviously is very different, but um, you know he, he just he feels like someone you can get as your very last starting pitcher uh, or even a bench guy. And he's just going to be super useful every year, especially in a points league. Nobody wants Marco Gonzalez. He is awesome in that format. Pitches very efficiently, goes deep into his starts. Doesn't walk anybody. Marco G really, really good, especially in points leagues. I will just point out Tyler Malley. I've been drafting a lot of Malley so far in my mock drafts and some of the real drafts that I've done. He finally put it together in 2020. 3.59 ERA, 1.15 whip, 60 strikeouts across 47 and two-thirds innings, uh, 11.3 K per nine, by far the best of his career. Uh, that was supported by a 13.8% swinging strike rate. Changed up his pitch mix. He went back to using the slider that he used back in 2018. Uh, to go along with a splitter and a mid-90s fastball. If you guys want something to watch, if you want so, uh, some starts to watch over the weekend for pitchers, watch Tyler Malley's last two starts from last season. He like There was a few times he made Jose Abreu, who won the American League MVP, 
look absolutely foolish. So Tyler Malley, uh, definitely a name that I'm on. There's two other tiers that we didn't get to, and they each have like 50 names in them. So you can find those on the site, cbsports.com slash fantasy. How many times have I promoted that throughout this podcast? A lot, but it's warranted because it's really good work. So you can find Scott's tiers there on the site. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.